Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have The Godfather Part 3, also known as The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone, starring Al Pacino. Diane Keaton, Talia Shire, Andy Garcia, and Sofia Coppola. Written by Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola, and directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Mm. Welcome back to Rise Smile Films. It's time to wrap up our Godfather trilogy cask. And here we are with the much derided, often very critically divided, part three entry in this franchise. But really, in all honesty, any part three is going to have a hard time stacking up against the last two weeks of what we've discussed, right? True, that's fair. <laughs> this is kind of a, a losing battle, I think, in my estimation. Much is kind of the same way that Return of the Jedi, I just never could live up to what Empire set it up to, right? Mm, yeah. But here we are, we're talking about Godfather Part Three, released in 1990, and then recut two years ago as The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone. Which and, is a lie. Yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll talk about that and just kind of the gestation of that story. But I was intrigued by... Coda mm-hmm. and kind of why that was included. So I did a little digging and hear Coppola talk about why that was. And his intention or the way he felt was that the first two films kind of kind of ended the story. And a Coda in, in music is uh, the piece that wraps up the whole kind of movement. So in Hey Jude, the Coda to that song's the uh, na, 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 na. And that Seven goes, minutes of that. Yeah, and it goes on for that. So that that's, that's what a Coda in music is supposed to do. So that's, I guess, what this film is more of an epilogue and less of a kind of a part three. So, so let me stop you there for a second. I'm glad you did the research on that. I had no idea what that meant either Mm -hmm. with where Godfather two ends Mm -hmm. is this coda idea, this epilogue, this post story story. Yeah. The proper like, and, and not to be swayed by recency bias. Yeah. Is that the choice that Puzo and Coppola should have made this coda, this, this epilogue. I don't know. There's a lot of ways they could have gone. This is going to get to here in just a few minutes, I think. But mm-hmm. now that you say that, I, I'm thinking, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but maybe this was doomed from the beginning. Yeah, and I just, it felt like something after the fact, it kind of felt like a cash grab, like when they were kind of yeah. putting it together. And if you ask me what would be the the solution, I'd be like, just don't make another movie. <laughs> Yeah. So we can just kind of leave it leave it alone or mm-hmm. maybe write a novel on how you imagined it continues out, yeah. which has happened with other, some uh, authorized... Timothy Zahn? Yes. No, no. The, no in the this Godfather, some authorized by the Puzo estate to continue on this story mm-hmm. and some unauthorized. And they kind of take it in some crazy directions too. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to, to talking with you about this. I'm going to say this right now because we just had our little just anecdote before we hit play. I didn't entirely hate this movie uh, in my recency of remembering my previous thoughts on it. So I don't know if it was the new cut. I also can't tell you what the difference between the two versions are. Uh, a few key moments, especially the the end that we uh, so brief, uh, previously mentioned. But yeah, I didn't hate my time watching it. Uh, but like I said, it is... You're coming in with lower expectations after one and two. I mean, following in the footsteps of two of the best movies ever made. Yeah, how could you not feel the weight in those shoes? 
it's hard not to do that. It's mm-hmm. hard not to compare the third to two and one because one, two and one are arguably, not arguably, the yeah. best two sequel films that have ever been done in the history of film. And I will stand by that. It's a great one. In two front punch. of a firing line. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'll take that to my grave. There's, there's no yeah. beating that. I don't yeah. care what anyone says. Those pretty, are the best two, period. Pretty good. Okay, you, so think it, you think it best New Hope and Empire? By a mile. By I don't a mile. know if it's by a mile, but it's. I, I could agree as well. It. I would say that maybe two isn't better than Empire, but one is way better than A New Hope. Sure. Yeah. And, and that's not to say that I don't like those films. Yeah, New Hope's great still, but... For me, that's the best one, too, ever, 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 yeah, ever. It's good. Okay, so... It's hard then not to take that greatness and let it <laughs> persuade you to measure it like the contemporary, the third mm-hmm. against its predecessors. But to that extent, and I'm wrestling with this a lot too, yeah. because you titled it Godfather three and you mostly took all of the characters that were left except for Tom Hagen. And I don't know why Robert Duvall didn't choose to do this movie money. Okay. Yep. So they got, what's his name? Uh, George Hamilton. George Hamilton, who looks great, by the way. Yeah, um, <laughs> he looks like a lawyer. Teflon George. Yeah. If you rekindled what's left from the past in those characters and you move forward with them, Coda or otherwise, you are acknowledging mm-hmm. the existence of the others. Right. Yeah. So uh, maybe maybe we'll come to, or maybe I'll come to some peace with myself on this, but... I'm not at peace right now. All right, sounds good. You're <laughs> you're in disarray. Mm. Uh, let's let's let's, let's uh, suffice that with some drinks. We're having some more of the Rowan's Creek Kentucky Bourbon Whiskey. It's been a good bottle, huh? Very good bottle. Yeah. Uh, this Willet Distillery. We got to look into their other bottle because they have that like kind of like almost like genie lamp like bottle. Yeah. You know which one I'm talking I do. about? So that's I guess from this family as well. Uh, my buddy came over last night and we were talking, and you know what I jumped into was a wild turkey rare breed. Have you ever tried that? Mm-mm. I'm not a wild turkey guy until well, now. Not, not wild turkey proper, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> No, no, no. This was like <laughs> a small batch barrel rare strength, brew. rare. Yeah, like one twelve. I think was the proof. Pretty good. Um, we did it on the rocks instead of neat, like today, because mm-hmm. it's pretty strong. Uh, yeah, not bad. I think maybe next week I'll bring that and we can tackle that. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, because I don't know if this is going to make it through the day today. <laughs> it will. There's a lot left. Uh, I like the sound of that. Oh, let's <laughs> dive right into our flight question. Okay, so our flight question tonight takes what's already been established in the Godfather universe and allows you to choose any character to give their own vehicle to. This can be spinoff, this can be prequel, this can be post-coda, this can be uh, in between um, some things that happened in one or two. I don't care what time frame it is. I don't care who you choose. They have to. You can't make somebody up. It has to be established at least through some verbal acknowledgement. It doesn't have to be on screen mm. has to be acknowledged through some verbal um, acknowledgement on screen. Mm-hmm. And then give me just kind of the scenario or the time setting. And then why you chose that, yep. which kind of happens in this film with the Andy Garcia a little bit. Uh, so I, I have two, one, I'm going to have to cheat like a lot, which means I'm changing how this movie. Ends. Okay. Sure. Uh, to not let the cat out of the bag, how the film ends. Uh, it's Michael in his aged state and wearing his father's exact same outfit. Yeah. What the, what? Yeah. 
Okay, go. Yes. <laughs> but I kind of feel like in, in this new version that I'm coming up with here that Michael should die on the steps of this opera house. And my sequel, I want to father uh, follow uh, Don uh, Vincent Corleone yeah. in the 80s with his new empire. But I, I kind of want to see the reaction to the death of Michael being assassinated on these steps. How does the rest of the family fit into that? Because in this film, you have a son who's very wants to be an opera singer and wants to carve his own life out. Does that event then propel him to get involved into the family business? So how does Mary and uh, Anthony, and then wouldn't it be kind of cool to see kind of Kay, like kind of like see her dark side come in a bit, like Mm -hmm. very traumatized by what happened there. I think you could have a really good dynamic, but with Vincent kind of leading the charge. I don't need to call it Godfather part four. We can call it something else, but I think there's some seedlings here that I am fairly interested in seeing how they continue. I like that. Just not the way this film gives it to us at the end. Be fun to watch Kay go the dark side watching her daughter get gunned down. What she now has to do that she's vehemently denied and punished Michael for his entire Mm -hmm. marriage and then rebirth of their marriage. Whatever. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh, but if, I, if I'm not allowed to change the plot of a film, I would be interested in kind of a prequel of Don Ciccio's uh, Mafia Reign in Corleone, Sicily. Yeah. Uh, to kind of see the lead up to where part two's pr- prologue uh, gets started. So one of those two. Uh, there's a lot of ways this could, dare I say, gosh, just strike me down with the, with the power of the movie gods. A Godfather's cinematic universe could kind of possibly work. <laughs> Yeah, for I, sure. I don't, want, I don't need that. Though. Don't don't put that out in the ethers there, Paramount. Don't do it. <laughs> if done properly, if, if executed properly. If done properly, sure, why not? But Yeah, I like that. In today's landscape, it'll you know it'll be all fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it, w- it would be. Yeah. As long as Kathleen Kennedy is nowhere involved, it's got a shot, but it's a minimal shot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to go with Fredo. Yeah. And I want to pick it up right when Fredo says, I'm going to Vegas to learn the casino business. That is where our story with him begins. And it is the continuation up through him getting gunned down in the boat at the end point in part two. What I want to see is how uh, Johnny Ola and Hyman Roth and um, Mo Green and all of those people treat what I think is the most tragic figure in the Godfather franchise because he's mostly incapable of meeting even a portion or a percentage of the standards that the Corleone family, namely Michael, expects the family to conduct their business in. There is going to be so many twists, and I think what, if done properly, that story could do is create a wicked amount of frustration in the viewers because you would watch this and say, oh my God, Fredo, can you please stop making these bad decisions? Mm -hmm. And if done with John Cazale, and since we're playing Fantasyland here, he's still alive to do it. Okay the thing that buys off this battle of idiocy and um, neglect that Fredo exists in is the warm natured, loving, friendly peace that we get to see. You watch that guy and involved with all of the people that he's involved. And you still have some contact with, with Sonny and with Michael and with Tom, like they would still play a part in this too. Ancillary on the sides. Um, I want to see that story. Yeah. So what is that? Like 56 to about 74. Yeah. 
That's about when I think comes about where he gets killed by Michael, right? Isn't Don? Well, I think it's all fifties, early sixties. Okay. So yeah, probably yeah, fifty, fifty-five to that era. So maybe it maybe a ten-year period. That'd be good. Watch that wife that he picks up that uh, yeah. spilling herself all over the dance floor. Yeah. Who kind of disappears from that movie, by the way? <laughs> the phone call that happens late at night that is just riddled with what happened and what did you say in the past, Fredo? Mm-hmm. That they not only have their number, but you. Agreed to what? Yeah, there's a lot of the motions of the Godfather 2 plot that happened behind the scenes that we don't see, which is kind of the genius of that movie, but we would be pretty pretty interested to see some of those. And I think by proxy, what you get then is a better backstory on those villains in Godfather 2 that yeah. as much as I don't like Hyman Roth because I just don't like, he's up Michael's opposition, mm-hmm. he's still interesting. Yeah. And so I want to know what he and the rest of the surviving Dons had planned through this assassination of Michael because were they just going to run into the compound and take over all things Corleone proper and mm-hmm. Tahoe? Cause no, they weren't. Yeah. So what we never get it. Mm-mm. Yeah. I want to see that all the behind the scenes shenanigans. And then it, it's maybe more of a Anakin Skywalker to Palpatine corruption of evil with Fredo. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we get to see him slowly become a little more darker. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. I think so. I understood. love our fantasy uh, uh, role play sequel idea. <laughs> it's probably pretty good. Yeah. They can write a book about that. Why not? I mean, again, if you're not going to make any more movies, they're never going to make another guy. I surely hope not. No. And I hope I never see a remake in my time as well. Uh, but they could expand the lore of what's said in the films and just continue that in novel form. Look at all those alien books I have there that just, yeah, it's alien this and Ripley that, and they just keep going with the expanded universe in novel form. So why not? Why not? Because the films, the alien film sequels now are just shit. They are shit. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love your choice. Cheers to you. Good job. Good Cheers start. to you. Cheers to Oh, uh, man. We got another dense plot to get through in this thing. So let's get started with our review breakdown of The Godfather Part 3. We've sold the casinos. All businesses having to do with gambling. We have no interests or investment in anything illegitimate. Corleone's are prepared to deposit $500 million in the Vatican Bank at such times Mr. Corleone receives majority control of Immobiliare. Immobiliare could be something new. A European conglomerate. Few families have control of such a company. It seems in today's world, the power to absolve debt is greater than the power of forgiveness. Six hundred million dollars. Don't overestimate the power of forgiveness. So the Godfather, Coda, the death of Michael Corleone, we start. Now, this is one difference I do remember. Godfather Part 3, I believe, starts with about 10 to 12 minutes of recap of the prior two films. Mm. Part 2, Part 1, leading up to this party that, that we're going to have in this this meeting here. So they did get that out, which kind of okay with. Uh, I think we, especially now that you and I have watched Part one, 1 and 2, I think we're going in pretty fresh. Mm-hmm. But maybe for 1990, people people needed a bit of a refresh since it had been, what, 74 to 90, 16 years since the last film? Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of like how deliciously evil 
the Catholic Church is in this movie here. Very sinister, sinister business intentions. And a lot of things, I don't even know what the heck they're doing. But uh, what do you kind of think of this deal here? I mean, it's Michael trying to, I think, go legitimate, uh, try to take the Corleone family name out of the crime world into the legitimate business empire. But he's kind of making this really shady deal with the Catholic Church and it's like this donation and into this investment into immobiliary, right? Which is, we kind of don't even know what they're going to end up doing, but kind of going in business with the church here. And that's, you know, to have your name there with the church uh, would definitely paint the family in better graces than it's been seen before. This is different than being uh, tried on Congress, right? For yeah. <laughs> the crimes against the mafia co- community and uh, all that. But what, what do you think about that? What do you think about aged Michael here in, at, the, at the beginning of the film? Oh, that's so much. Okay. Um, we'll start with, start with the aged Michael. Yeah, sure. Something happened around the time he did Frankie and Johnny with Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. And something happened, what I mean, to his vocal cords. I don't know if there was an injury, but it's akin to Stevie Nicks in about 1995 because she never learned to sing properly. Mm-hmm. Literally, Rhiannon shredded her vocal cords, yeah. and now she just sounds like a billy goat. Yeah. And God bless Stevie Nicks. I love her. Mm-hmm. But she can't sing anymore. Yeah. Now, this is not to say that Michael Corleone or Al Pacino sounds like a billy goat, but the soft, underspoken manner that Michael presented himself into with, I think, a healthier set of lungs yeah. in one and two is much more rugged and sandpaper-like here. And this is weird to me because as rugged and sandpaper as his voice sounds, his character has gone tits up, Jesse. Yeah. He's milk toast pussy in this film. Yeah. Like, and if you, if you doubt that, watch his interactions with Kay. When did Michael become apologetic? Forgive me. I miss you. Bullshit. I don't want any more violence guys. Like it, it, none of that's working for me off the top, just vocally. It's not anyone's fault. It's just whatever happened to him. I think I kind of felt like he was doing a voice because when he does Carlito's way a couple years later, it's not as gravelly as this. It's not. I, I think he's putting it on a little bit, maybe to do something a little <laughs> more akin to what Brando Al Pacino is putting it on a little bit. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. We talked about that. Didn't we understated Al Pacino was pretty refreshing to see. Yeah. And he has his outbursts in this film, but it's it's fairly downplayed. And I do got to say, you know, if we're talking about the arc of Michael and we've seen him go to not wanting to be involved, to being involved, to being consumed by power, to kind of losing it all at the end. I do have to say, I do kind of like, I know he's he is very milquetoast and he's very, everyone take the orders, don't give the orders, we're not killing, mm-hmm, I want to be legit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I kind of like that. I think it's a little refreshing for me for his character. And I almost kind of uh, kin it to him being almost like Alcoholics Anonymous. And Michael kind of goes through like the steps of like forgiveness throughout this movie to atone for his sins, whether through the priest or trying to make up with Kay. I do like that we don't just see the same Michael that we've seen in the last two films and someone who's really trying to make amends for all the bad things that he's done. That was refreshing to me. I like where you're at. Yeah. A character progression that shows from evil to good. Mm-hmm makes sense to me through three films, especially with as much violence and death. And as much as they have him lamenting what he did to Fredo and also Apollonia, Mm -hmm. I get remorseful. I buy that. When you start off the film with a meeting being taken by a Don Corleone, whether it's Michael or Vito, Mm -hmm. through some larger entity, like we've seen in the first two films, it feels like 
that's the deal that they're making that this movie should be about. And in fact it is, but here's the problem. Yeah. In the first film, it's like these guys beat up my daughter and we're going to get the idea of this favor system. Mm -hmm. Now that plays out a little bit through the second film in this, if we're going to go the route that you said, which I also like Mm -hmm. Michael needs to be in a business meeting with this archbishop over whatever the hell this immobiliary is, which is one of the most poorly explained larger global entities that's ever been done. It's just a throwaway term. Is it the world bank, but Catholic world bank? Yeah. It's a Catholic nonprofit. I don't know what it is. Right. That's funded entirely by him. So what should happen is this Duke, this archbishop, this, this character Mm -hmm. should say, here's all of the things that we can do. Ba, 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 ba. And then it looks like Salazzo. All I need from you is $600 million and you, and Michael turns him down. If we're going to move a progression from Michael Mm -hmm. to Vito, the way that we see at the end of the film, wearing the same clothes, sitting by himself in the same orchard all alone. Yeah then have him do the same thing that Vito did, which would be turn down Salazzo. Turn down this deal. The parallelism is right there. I don't know why they shouldn't choose to do it unless, and this is my big problem with Michael in this film. Yeah. Like I said, I like where you're going. Mm -hmm. I think they forgot who this character was. Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola lost who Michael Corleone was in 16 years. They forgot what made this man tick. Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, Again, but it's just, it's this new slowed down. Like I almost kind of, he's like, he's like kind of, he's like coasting out to retirement, Michael, is kind of the way I see it. I mean, he doesn't want to like put a hit on this guy. What's the point in doing that? Like, what's the point? Like, yeah, we'll give you a donation, give this award and everything. Yeah, it feels like someone who's ready to retire, hand over the reins of the family to somebody else, and it's different. Yeah, it's it's different than guns blazing, like ruthless business dealing, Michael. Um, but I, I'm kind of okay with it. I know you're you're a little little troubled by the characterization. I, I I didn't I didn't feel troubled by Michael's portrayal in this film. Okay, so even yeah. if that that aside, yeah, um, and maybe we differ there. The immobiliary is an important piece in this. Yeah. In in the first film, it's heroin. In the second film, it's it's gambling and like global yeah. takeover. Global yeah. gambling. Mm-hmm. In this film, it's man, what's ripe to be a great villain, mm-hmm. the papacy. Yeah. And probably, you know, more so not fiction, especially if you know much about the papacy at today. Mm-hmm. They're wicked. Fuck all of them. <laughs> And and if God smites me down right now, it'll be doing me a favor because like maybe some be light <laughs> oh, will be man. brought to his papacy. But those people are fuckers and have yeah. been forever. So yeah. you've got a good villain set up. Mm-hmm. The question then should be after Michael says no, which he doesn't. Mm-hmm. After Michael says no, so I want to get out. I want to go legitimate. And here's Michael's smart enough to know the pitch from this archbishop is not entirely on the up and up. It's got to be shady. Yeah. And I like that it's the Catholic Church because that's a big part of Michael's of Michael's character. Like he is a religious, deeply Roman Catholic religious man. Mm-hmm. If he says no, then the rest of the film should be the inner machinations of the remaining dons that need Michael to get in and his money in order to pull off this immobiliary and the few families that run it for some conquest of global domination. I guess we're not going to bother explaining what the mobiliaries means of global domination is, but we move to a blackmail or something to get Michael to be involved in this, regardless of his reluctance. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not this movie. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. I think I, I do want immobile to find a little bit better. This Catholic entity does get its chances throughout the film to be 
pretty sinister and their hitman that they hire and uh all the the dealings that they have going on here but yeah no I'm 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 with you I'm with you on that one but much like the last two films I it is pretty interesting that this one decides to kind of set the stage for about 30 minutes with another party right I mean <laughs> Coppola and his parties yeah. and I think it's another just good moniker to introduce the characters how they've grown up where we're at now this and that you know Godfather Corleone is still willing to take meetings with some people in kind of a limited capacity. Well, what do you think of, when we catch up here, there's a few surprises to me. I forgot how kind of deliciously evil Connie gets in this movie. Yeah. I kind of like that. Because mm-hmm. uh, she's kind of been backseat sibling the last two films. She's either being beaten by her husband mm-hmm. or like trying to get money for this horrible marriage that she's in. Here we get to kind of see her break bad a little bit, and it's mm-hmm. it's kind of fun. I'm with you. Yes, I agree. In the scene later, the the very disgusting uh, cannoli scene is kind of it's that's the peak of it, right? Is yeah. this plan that she has kind of behind Michael's back, right? Mm-hmm. To kill her own godfather, Mister Eli Wallach. Yeah, I kind of like that. It's it's a nice kind of transition from the last two films. Yeah, I've agreed. Uh, so then we have the, the two kids. We have Anthony and uh, Mary. This is, I don't know, the guy that plays Anthony because everything's dominated by Sophia Coppola in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we kind of see where they're they're at here. Anthony wants to, doesn't really want a lot to do with his father because he kind of knows the real truth about his father he killed off Fredo and his business dealings. But he seems a little closer with the daughter, Mary, and he's willing to kind of pass on this foundation, this thing that there, we can't, figure out to her right Mm -hmm. something that you can run you and i wanted you to be able to run this a legitimate business empire as they get older it makes sense to pass the torch to the young ones Mm -hmm. and as much as you like those and i agree i love the bastard prince of sunny corleone which is the child that he sired it's my favorite the bridesmaid my favorite part of the movie that's fantastic Mm -hmm. when she comes back just for one scene and i'm like oh my gosh that's the bridesmaid that he was carrying on with and look what happened yep now, what's crazy is, and I think this is absurd, mm-hmm. Andy Garcia was nominated for this performance for Best Supporting Actor. Yeah. What, whatever. Yeah. Give me a break. But, um, okay, regardless, I don't think, it's not that the performance is terrible. It's just he's he's doing Sonny in a new version. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, the first time we see him, he kind of even is sort of dressed like what I would see Sonny in, like a leather blazer. 70s Sonny. Kind of, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Almost I, looking, he looks kind of like a... Uh, Travolta and uh, Saturday Night Fever. And runs hot like Sonny would. Mm -hmm. I think this is a great beginning. Connie's broke bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think there's a bit of an absence with her children in this. There's not as much um, play from them as there should be. And didn't Sonny have kids of his own? Did he have some girls too? Yes. They're kind of never talked about ever again. No. After his death. No. And Michael, like the Michael's kids are going good. Although his son, Anthony, who, man, they were really setting up in the second film to Mm -hmm. be a large part of this got second scraps because Sofia Coppola is the daughter's the director's daughter so they gave her I think the part that should have gone to Anthony we'll, we'll talk about that later yeah. um and I actually even kind of liked her mm-hmm. now this plot gets even crazier with the two of them because all three of them are going to ascend to the roles of Sonny Michael and Connie yeah but what happens when Connie falls in love with Sonny yeah exactly <laughs> so let's talk about this for a minute okay the incestuous piece from First Cousin, and this thing is running red hot between the two of them. Yeah, and, this, and is, this is weird, right? Vincent and Mary. <laughs> Jesse, every time that happened, yeah. did you find yourself sort of shirking back and being as off-put? And 
Well, the film with it as I was. Yeah, no, of course I was. It's 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 still a first cousin, right? Yes. If it, it, legitimate illegitimate bastard beside itself, it's still a first cousin. So yeah, of course it's weird. But the film paints it in a way that's yeah, this is totally normal. <laughs> it's not that Michael ever says you guys can't see each other because you're going to produce produce mongoloid children. Yeah. It's because it's bad <laughs> for the family business. Yeah. What? Yeah, that's it's maybe my least favorite part of the whole film is this very awkward and uncomfortable love relationship between cousins. <laughs> and if if Kay's the the yeah. voice of moderation, if in they this, were second cousins, maybe I could let it yeah. fly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, if Kay's the voice of moderation in the Corleone family, yeah. she doesn't seem to be bothered by it either. I know. Yeah. What in the? As much as you and I said we wanted to be part of the family, yeah. And I think I'm starting to look for the exit. Yeah. It's a little, little bit too much for me. No, I'm with you. I, it's just, I, I think it's just the film sells it so well that it's just like, yeah, this is totally a natural thing that we're just going to do in this movie. And on the outside, we're just like, yeah, this is this, this is very icky when they're making Noki together. <laughs> oh, God. Not Nookie. Noki. Noki. <laughs> Especially when they had something else that I thought could have played. Mm. Bridget Fonda is introduced in this film. And yeah. this is a time when Bridget Fonda is kind of moving and shaking in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. She is clearly an ambitious photographer, reporter type and her getting her hooks into Vincent for the story that she wants to break on the Corleone family Mm -hmm. to ascend her stardom to New York Porsche levels of Pulitzer prize winning material dies no sooner than after she finishes with another really off putting piece in this film. No, no, it it dies. Her story dies no sooner than we get the grossing where she's, feathering her fingers through his Wolverine werewolf-like hair chest sweater. Yeah. Andy, Gar- Andy Garcia is the hairiest man on the planet. Garcia should be Sonny's son because Sonny was super hairy he too. He was. <laughs> they got that for But what was weird, dude, is they get that, there's the scene where they're post-coital. Yeah, yeah. She's laying on his chest. Yeah. And to Bridget Fonda's credit, I guess, she is stroking and petting his chest fur like it's a small cat. Yeah, some people like that, I guess. Are you sure? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> if you're one of those that's out there that likes it, please and let the show know because I, I just <laughs> let the show know if you're a chest hair. Fetish. I just was <laughs> thinking. Okay, I am so distracted from the story now by two things that really play to no significance. It's Andy Garcia's relationship with Bridget Fonda and the disgusting postcoital hair petting, and incest yeah i do gotta say though that's th- those things don't dominate the whole movie though like i was actually maybe in this new edit sophia she's not in the movie a ton it's mm-hmm. still very much a michael al pacino vehicle sure and andy garcia for that for for that for that part but no i'm with you Th- those things definitely stuck out to me um i'll play this clip here we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it and get through the story here a little bit more Vinny, for Christ's sake, what the hell's the matter with you? Get him out of here. Hey! Jesus Christ. Mike, I told you it wasn't the right time for these things. Mike, listen, I know you're into banks and Wall Street, but everyone knows you're the final word. You're like the Supreme Court. All I want to do is protect you from these guys, and your lawyers can't do that. You can. Yeah, I can do that. Hmm. And why should I be afraid of Joe's house? Oh, he knows you're stopping him from rising up in the commission, Uncle Mike. I said we make him dead. You give me the order, I'll take care of it. You take care of it? Yeah. Maybe you should uh, come with me for a few weeks. 
See what happens. Okay. See if you learn. And we'll, we'll talk about your future. I kind of like that. I kind of like Michael taking this outlier of the family. Still blood, but not legitimate blood, right? Taking him under his wing to see to see if you can show him some things and teach him a little bit about less of what you just did. You just Mike Tyson this guy. That's what I was gonna say. Mike Tyson must have been a Godfather fan. Oh my god, yeah, he saw this movie. He was like, I'm gonna do that next time we're in the fight. <laughs> Guess Evander's Holyfield is Joe Zaza, huh? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so let's tone that down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let me see if I can refine your skills a little bit more. Almost like an apprentice, right? In yes. Star Wars. Like I, I kinda I kinda like that. Again, it's the same thing. The growing up of you as angry young youth into more like your father, who at his knee went through the tutelage of how to become an effective family don. I which was what Vito gave Michael. I so, wish sure. I wish there was a line in there where he says that temper of yours, like that's what got Sonny killed. Like I yes. wish he would have said something like that. Right. So, yeah, good. Let's kind of mellow that out a bit, but we get it, and that's the plan, is for him to sort of show Vincent, here's maybe a better way, mm-hmm. and you don't have to do this anymore because we are legitimate now, except for this immobilari, which mm-hmm. sounds a lot like the Illuminati, but yeah. a whole lot less mysterious and a whole lot you know less defined. Yeah. <laughs> it's less defined than the actual Illuminati. <laughs> we don't even, I mean, the Illuminati, you know, is into yeah. fiction and nonfiction and rewriting the history of mankind. What the fuck's the immobilari going to do? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So (laughs) I meant that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. What is, what are you going to do when the violent piece is not needed? And you kind of get the feeling, and this is done pretty well in the film, that this angry, burning, violent desire to do away with Joe Zaza is sort of like deciding to shoot the stray cat 50 times because they walked through your lawn. 50 times with a shotgun. Like, it's too much. He's nothing. He's a pissant. We'll yeah. find out maybe later that he's not. Mm-hmm. But what, don't waste your anger on that, Vincent. Yeah. yeah. That's good for Michael. I've been through this. Mm-hmm. Come learn. Yeah, show, learn through history, right? The questions, I have a question for you that I've been dying to ask. Okay. If you weren't going to choose Kay or any of the other characters that we mentioned in the nightcap, yeah. would you like this story just to be about Vincent and his attempts to try to become a made man in the Corleone empire. Isn't that the story that this should have been? I mean, that would probably be enough, Yeah, but it's a Godfather film. And we, there has to be this very convoluted, like C plot. And I think in films one and two, it's pretty well thought out and defined. And that's the thing that I think really kills the film for me is just how kind of crazy everything gets with the papacy as sinister as I love it. Right. Um, It just, it, it really does muddle muddle everything here because Eli Wallach's involved and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you a question about Mary's character in this film. How old do you think Sophia Coppola's Mary is age wise? 21. I think she's that old. 18, uh, maybe 18, maybe 16. Not that young. Yeah. So let me pitch something to you. Okay. I'm not sure to be running a business empire and like she's already attending some of the meetings. It's, she's not 16. It's, Got to be 18. That's why I'm willing to bet at least 21, too. Somewhere in Italian or... Go ahead. I will say this as well, because remember, there's that whole beef with stay in law school so you have a backup. If you want to be an opera singer, all the power to you. He hasn't had to have that conversation, I guess, with Mary. So I want to say she's gone through school and maybe has an educational background. So Okay. Yeah. 
The reason I bring up her age is I want her to be younger than Vincent, but I also want this movie to start off with some celebration of either her or Anthony. That is a version of a quinceanera or Anthony's engagement. College graduation party. You just said a college graduation party. (laughs) That'd be good. So we start off with, let's say, Mary's college graduation party, which would make her older than Anthony, and I'm not sure that I'd buy that, but just some formal event, because you know what that means, Mm -hmm. is it takes us back to the first film, and it takes the Don or the family head having to take pitches from people from favors. So we start off with that, and it's Vincent in Michael's office asking to have some small menial task in the family in order to prove his worth as the bastard prince that belongs to be made. And Michael Mm -hmm. says no. And Michael says no, we find out, due to the memories that it rekindles on the lost relatives that he has of Sonny and Fredo. Mm -hmm. And it's not because he doesn't like Vincent. It's because he wants Sonny's surviving heir to live to see 60. So the rest of the film then is... Vincent and like they don't leave poorly and or maybe it's slightly strained but then the rest of the story is Vincent trying to angle his way into the family he meets Mary they begin dating it's weird because it's incestuous is it legitimate is he using her (laughs) all of these things become and he becomes this unknown wild card as far as allegiance goes Mm -hmm. in so far as is he working with this Don or that Don is he really a Corleone, and he's constantly trying to work these deals to prove to Michael I'm worthy of not being consigliere, but being a Clemenza or a Tessio sidekick or equal to Al. That was the story. Yeah. That was the story. Not this immobilari in Sicily with the Vatican that just provided nothing other than a title and had nothing to do with his power other than a ghost of power to chase with no definition. Yeah. You had to have some sort of villain in this thing though, right? So Yeah. Uh, no, I'm with you. I think that I think that sounds that sounds pretty great. Uh, and then it really kind of gears the focus to uh Vincent's character. But I do kind I do kind of like what they do here with it because if the son is deciding to go his own path that his father doesn't approve of, Vincent kind of becomes stand-in son right yeah showing him the way showing him the ropes the business spending all this time with him especially if anthony says dad i want nothing to do with your bullshit empire Mm -hmm. yeah that's hard to take because michael loves anthony yeah he loves his kids yeah i don't think there's denying that michael isn't a good father i think i think he is and i think he wants the best for them and i think this trying to set up a legitimate kind of enterprise for them is that's admirable sure especially where he's been and just killing people and just all these backstabbing deals that Michael's done throughout the years. So mm-hmm. I do like the strides that they're, they're kind of doing with, with these characters, but yet going your route definitely makes it the Vincent Corleone story, which uh, I'll watch that too. I mean, that's pretty good. I think there's enough screen time in this film. It's at two forty. This coda version is two forty. Yeah. This is the shortest of the three movies. <laughs> to, okay. Yeah. To give Michael and Vincent each enough, cause there's going to be interaction with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe Michael doesn't entirely tell Vincent, no, you're out of the filming, but maybe he gives him I don't know, some Mickey Mouse nightclub. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ha ha. Something like just barely keeping him on the fringes. And so Vincent and Michael then 
run in parallel paths because they have a connection through business. And there's so many different ways that in there just dealing with each other on the periphery of Corleone proper, but Corleone extended then, they still have to communicate. Yeah. Um, you know, the scene outside, let's go back to the first film. Okay. When Vito gets gunned down in the fruit market mm-hmm. and Fredo is incapable mm-hmm. of protecting him. Yeah. What if something similar to that happens? We don't know who it is. It's an undefined assassin that tries to take out Michael. Yeah. And what if Vincent is able to defend him? To step in and help, yeah. So now you're like, well, and then it begins this. Maybe Connie, mm-hmm. who's Breaking Bad, and see, this is where Connie's kids need to come into because maybe she has a son yeah. that wants, she wants him to take the position that Vincent's going to steal and she can yeah, see Yeah, then it. you have an internal power family struggle, which sounds interesting to me. So then she starts with, we need to make Michael think mm-hmm. that Vincent set that up to make himself look worthy of the title that rightful belongs to you, a full, not bastard Corleone son. There are so many more ways this could have gone that work with the family and the family dynamic in this film. That's been so successful for the first two that they kind of, other than just a few moments of I'm all about family. Can't come back to me. Yeah. Have washed their hands of in this third one. I'm sour mashing the entire thing. We could sour mash this for two hours. So I don't want to do that too much. But no, I think the, those, there is some meat on this bone that they just chose not to not to cook or eat. Yeah, and I wonder if it's just exhaust at this point. And I wonder if I wonder if Coppola and Puzo had a hard time coming up with what do we do next, right? Yes. How do we continue on this thing? Let me do read this because this kind of clears up, I guess. Okay. Uh, so the head of the Vatican Bank is Archbishop Gilday. That's the guy Michael's talking to at the beginning of the film. Uh, has this mass? This bank has this massive deficit of six hundred million. So Michael, Michael's accumulated like a billion dollars uh, with his casino dealings. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> so he's going to bail out the Vatican. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So in in exchange for shares in Immobiliari. So Immobiliari is an international real estate company, and I think it's a real thing in Italy. It's like Italy real estate. So that's legit, right? That's not racketeering or gambling or prostitution. Um. That would make him the largest single shareholder, that that amount, uh, which will give him the controlling interest in the company. But the board has to approve this offer. And then who has to give the final say? The Pope, right? Mm-hmm. And then I kind of liked that part of the movie, too, where, like, everything's hinging on, like, the Pope is just, like, dying throughout this movie. Mm-hmm. So we can't make a vote yet because he's gravely ill. And if he dies, what's going to happen after that? Well, this this new pope's going to come in, and he has very different ideas about all of this. So this whole deal could just go to hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what are we gonna what are we gonna do about all that? I kind of liked those tense moments uh, behind the scenes. Like they're they're small and they don't dominate the whole thing, but it, it was it was kind of nice. Yeah. Okay, that makes a bit more sense. Yeah. So yeah, we're, real estate. We're in it for real estate this time. It was drugs. Gambling and now real estate for this one. So I got to ask you a question though. Mm-hmm. When we go from the first film to, to drugs, yeah, and the second film to gambling mm-hmm. and international gambling, which then also has political ties as well, are you okay with the third crux of conflict being real estate? Is that enough for you? I'm okay with it if if this is the Michael that wants to get out of this crime underworld, right? That is a, that is enough for me. If he wants to stay bad and get bad, I mean, he's got to go into like I don't know, like human trafficking or something at this point. Yeah, because right, exactly. 
because to me, for me, real estate's so sleepy. Yeah. I, I don't care. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's working for you and I'm glad. And, and it, like, it is more legitimate. Yeah. Unless the real estate ventures that he's choosing to go into that the immobiliary will allow him access to involve taking Corleone Sicily and turning it into a trade capital or something that will, cause he talks about this deal I'm going to make with the immobiliary mm-hmm. will set up my family forever. Yeah. And just on paper, like, okay, it would seem like if you're the Vatican's chief consultant on real estate development, you probably are going to do pretty well. But if you layer that with here's how, I think you get to the problem that I'm really suffering from this film. And that is a return to the brilliant consistency and growth that we've seen from character development in two movies with depth. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah, I, obviously it's just, it's just not executed for me. And I also just don't want them to do the last two movies a third time. Sure, again. I guess so that. yeah, okay. that's why I, I'm kind of liking this refreshing look at Michael. It's, He's not as angry. He's not as manipulative. He's more open. He's willing to dance at these. Like, when did he, he, he danced with such disdain in the last movies, unless it was with Apollonia, right? Um, they're really trying to paint a different character here. So I do got to applaud Puzo and Coppola for at least trying to not rehash what's been done before. So okay. real estate, I'm, I'm okay with it. It's still, when you watch it in the film, it's, you got to watch it with subtitles and maybe watch it two or three times. Those scenes, not the whole movie just to kind of figure out like what the hell's going on here with this company and the Pope and the papacy and the Pope's dying and new Pope and poisoning that Pope and Pope papal assassins. Right. It gets crazy a little bit later here, but. And I think it's fair to say we were willing to do that in the first two films. So you can't say I'm not going to do the third film. I think it's easier in the first two films though. I think it's more seamless for Coppola. And it's more interesting. Yeah, no, it's more interesting, but I, I think it was also just everything just rolls off the, like the tip of the tongue Yes, in the, the other two films. It's so effortless. And here, like I, you can really see everyone just like really trying hard to like make this matter. And I'm, I'm, I'm going with it, but I will admit that it's, it's a much lesser effort. It's my interest level is, the the level of memorable scenes in this film compared to the other two is like completely diminished. There's a couple that always stand out to me, but not like the other two films that I'm just like are ingrained in my brain for forever. God, we're sharing the same wavelength on this yeah. in a different, I think, take on the film. Although I agree with you completely. I was watching the conversations he was having with that archbishop or archduke or whatever title he was, cardinal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought I was thinking to myself, Matt, you need to rewind this. And watch it again because I'm not entirely sure you got what the pitch on that was. And I don't know if in the movie the Immobiliari is ever explained as the real estate conglomerate that you're talking about. If it was. They might. I mean, it's just like you'll lose something in a two and a half hour movie. I mean, it's dense shit. (laughs) I just didn't want to put the work in. And maybe that has to do with just the preconceived notion and bias that I went into this viewing with. Yeah. And so it just turned out to be like self-fulfilling prophecy. I want to make sure that I'm right in my, my critique on this. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I will do the work in film. Clearly you are listening to what the endeavors of the work we put in each week are. So I'm not afraid to do it. Yeah. I didn't give two tears in a bucket mm-hmm. about the mobile art because I wanted what you just said. Yeah. When are you going to give me the horse head? When are you going to give me Sonny on the causeway? Yeah. When are you going to give me um, 
falling over in the orange archer. Like when are when are you yeah, going those to iconic moments? And maybe there's just few of those because this film is just are, has, has a reputation, right? Are there any that don't stick out in your mind as oh my god? Because the one you put on Instagram this week yeah. stuck out to me. Stuck out to me is absurd. Yeah. You know what sticks out to me in this mm-hmm. is his diabetic breakdowns. <laughs> yeah. That he looks like he it, it's terrible. Well, the, there's the one coming up, and so I'm gonna play the clip, and we'll we'll talk about the the scene itself. Trusted you to manage our money in the casinos. It's not even 20 years. You sold the casinos and you made fortunes for all of us. Bravo, Bravo. 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 Thank you. <laughs> Friends, I have come here because our business together is done. We have prospered and now it is time for us dissolve the business relationship between them. That's it. But I do have a little surprise, Al. Your shares in the casino. I thought I'd cut through all the red tape so you could get your money right away. Fifty million dollars. Not everybody gets the same. It depends on how much Nothing for you. you invested, how long for. <laughs> Nothing for Mike, you. This is really generous. So this is kind of cool. I mean, this is for what would probably make any mob don super nervous to go into your commission of mob people and saying, as of today, we're ending business ties together. Because I'm going like, oh my gosh, you'd probably be terrified on the retaliation, right? Sure. But this version of Corleone is like, now you might be upset about that, but we've made a lot of money throughout the years and I've already gone through all the trouble and all the taxes and red tape and I'm literally cutting you checks for millions of dollars and I bid you adieu, right? It's kind of a cool thing. I, I kind of like Michael just kind of just being upfront with his intentions and like I am laying it all out on the table. It's been fun, but I'm done with it. And this is this is the one scene I, I do remember. So Joey Zaza's really put out that he's not getting cut. He wants more, and he does more work than anybody, and he's very popular in the city. So screw you guys, right, for not including me. And then this helicopter attack that comes in and just wastes the whole commission, I think that's pretty cool. It's not horse head iconic. It's not uh, smacking or kissing uh, Fredo on the lips iconic. You broke my heart, Fredo, but... I think just like the, the bombardment of bullets and how Michael and Vincent and them are able to kind of get out of here is a miracle. But um, I kind of I kind of like this scene. It's it's really setting the stakes. And yeah, like you said, maybe this Joey Zaza, I don't know, maybe he is kind of a bad little dude, right? Joe Mantegna. <laughs> why is he there? Who? Michael? No, no. Well, I know why Joey Zaza is there for story purposes. Mm-hmm. But if he's such a non-player, why is he included in this meeting? Because well, isn't he, he's kind of taken over the Corleone New York street roots uh, in New York City. So what the Corleone family was doing in New York is what Zaza's doing now. Okay, I, I, I never got that. Yeah, I, Like I said, I didn't go back and I didn't care to watch it. Mm-hmm. If he's this little piss ant, then... <sighs> and that's why Connie's so up in the thing of like the state that he's left the... What he's done to the empire that dad set up years ago she's kind of upset about that so that's why she's taking a vested interest as well in joey zazan 
I'm struggling to wonder or know why I'm supposed to care about this Joey Zaza other than the language around him has been like, we think he might be a bad guy. Yeah, he's just a roadblock. He's a Salazzo. <sighs> yeah, I, okay, uh, right. Uh, I, I Okay, yes. I yeah. just I just don't fucking care. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't fucking care. Yeah. So, and I, I need to, because that character for the first half of the film yeah. is the false lead that you go down on the road of, they better watch out for this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that Vincent kills him is actually also pretty cool. Yeah. I think that's pretty awesome. At the festival. Dressed up like a cop. Yeah. yeah. Parades again showing up in this series and puppet shows. I wonder if also part of it for me is I see Joe Montaigne Mm -hmm. and I immediately go like, give me a break. Like I roll, I roll. Like this is not Bruno Kirby. This is not Abe Vigoda. Yeah. This is the JV version of any, I, I, I don't know, Jesse. I, I, you get. I think you're. I mean, it's, it's not. It's not. A I should care. I just don't. I know. I know. It's not. A, and it's not a deal breaker for me. I think this sets up a pretty cool scene here. And then again, the film goes in another path with the sinister papacy and wanting to make amends with the rest of the family. And this kind of ends here when he guns him down in the street. Yeah. At this parade. Uh, this almost looks like this is Little Italy, right? In the same yeah. streets as where um, Donna. Uh, Gosh, it's hard Francesco. To it's hard to remember all these guys' names. Uh, Don uh, Finucci. Yeah. Yeah. Finucci. Yeah. Finucci. Yeah. <laughs> Francesco Finucci. Chichi. There's so many. Yeah. That where he, uh, young Don Vito, guns him down yeah. in the streets here. So, uh, I do like this this exchange here with with Michael and Vito or uh, Vincent. Fuck. I say we hit back and take Zaza out. What you're thinking. That line's cool too. I'll talk about that. All right, let's get a let's get a message to Joe's house. I respect what he's done. The new overthrows the old. It's natural. How can you do business with this guy? I'm a businessman. First foremost, I want no further conflict with him. You tell him from me that he can live or he can die. Vincent, will you shut up? line though right that's the line everyone remembers from from this movie but yeah. i do like what he tells vincent there was don't ever show people your hand right because that's what don Vito told fredo in the meeting with salazzo right so sunny yeah. yeah he's like santino what are you doing what he's are you like, doing yeah. you ever tell family business that yeah right so it's kind of cool that you know michael is still like in sync with Vito's philosophy they're just two totally different people I like that you picked up on that. That's a good callback to Don Vito and Michael trying to be Don Vito. Mm-hmm. The problem is the word shut up. Mm-hmm. Well, Look, that- I mean, Sonny needed to be told shut up a lot. Yeah, There's no way. Okay, go back to the hottest we've ever seen Michael run in any of these. It's with Kay in the second film. Yeah, Michael would never say shut up. Mm, I could see him saying it. 
I can't. Yeah. Vincent, will you shut up? Yeah. Like it's that is so Al Pacino latter period of his career over emoting with something that Michael wouldn't say. He might he would tell Vincent something. Yeah. But he wouldn't say shut up. That's so third grade petty. Like, God, come on. They, it goes back to my same issue. They have lost this character. The arc, as you said, regression to like more, I guess, wholesome, mm-hmm. more law-abiding makes perfect sense because that's a more peaceful life as you enter your golden years. You can't continue to fight and kill everyone. It, mm-hmm. where's you, they're going to get you sooner or later. And the movie teaches Michael that lesson at the end anyway, yeah. which is maybe you can't get out. But to yell at Vincent, and Vincent needs to be redirected. Sonny needed to be redirected. Go back to the way Vito redirected Sonny and what he said. He let Sonny have it pretty good. Mm-hmm. The hottest we ever saw Vito run any of the films with Johnny Fontaine. Yeah. You should act like uh-huh. a man. Yeah, Vito was always really very even-tempered. There's some space in there for me that I think Michael could say the same thing to Vincent. Like, you need to stop being so hot-headed and pump the brakes and just listen because you can't always solve everything with the gun. To me, shut up. You heard me laugh. Shut up doesn't do that adequately. Well, he does it too. Uh, what's his face in part two? He does, uh, oh, Jesus Christ, uh, Pentangeli, right? He tells him, in my home, where my children play with their toys. Like So he does have his outbursts. Like, if he was doing that the whole movie, oh, absolutely, this character is, like, absurd. Okay, I love that. You're right. I yeah. forgot about that. But you know what he's talking about with Pantangeli there is you're endangering families. Yeah, well, I, I think he's just trying. It's just, it's to the point trying to set him on the right track. You're right. He, it's trying to, it's a readjustment for for Vince. I don't, it just, I don't think, of, I don't, it's not bothering me as much as it. It's obviously bothering you. I, yeah, no, it's not, and it's fine. I just I want him to say something that is germane to how I know Michael in my head, which is, if you do that, Vincent, yeah, you bring the wrath of all the families of blah blah blah, whatever the hell, Casa Nostra element, fucking Joey Zaza represents. You bring them back into conflict with my family. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be part of my family, you have to respect the protection of the family. I mean, it's just, yeah. and, and shut up is just such a, it's hard. We get it. He's mad. It's just so shallow. Well, it's shallow. And it's, it's, Vincent's not listening, right? I mean, he's still going on about like, we'll just cap him. Let's just put it. So it's, mm-hmm. it's blunt and to the point instead of going on for minutes on, on that, because can I give it some credit though? I do want to say something. Yeah. I would expect Sonny's son yeah. to say what he says there. Oh yeah. No, I think, that's the only character in this movie. Uh, you're right with Connie. Mm-hmm. For me, the only character in this film that they had figured out was Vincent. I liked Vincent. Uh, b- b- right. Incestuous relationship beside itself. Rolanoki. Uh, I, <laughs> Roll, I was that a band? <laughs> Rolanoki. Yeah, I liked. I liked the Vincent character. Yeah. I kind of forgot some of the interesting things they do with him in disguise incognito. He's yeah, doing me too. assassin missions. Like he's very proficient with the weapon. Obviously, uh, is it his movie? It's not, uh, it's still Michael's movie. The death of Michael Corleone, right? Uh, it's, I still think it's Michael's movie. But they're setting it up that they want it to be more Vince's future, right? Mm-hmm. Did this movie not make enough money for there to be a Godfather well, I, 4 I, I, with I Vincent? Think it just, no, it, it, it made money, but like there was, you know, like... A lot of criticism. <laughs> there was a lot of criticism with this film, mostly levied at Sofia Coppola's feet. Uh, 
At her feet. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but she literally meant like her feet. Yeah. <laughs> what was wrong with her feet in this Too many film? foot shots. Okay. No, uh, no, I really, and I think I was watching, I was like, I was like, I, I kind of, you know, you kind of forget about Andy Garcia as an actor. He's, I think he's pretty good in this. He's good. I mean, maybe not like Academy Award nomination good, but he's good in The Untouchables. Man from Elysian Fields. And I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a, a Father of the Bride remake on HBO Max that kind of just came and went, but... Oh, yeah. It's a, a Hispanic family, and he's kind of the patriarch of that. He's really good in that movie. Okay. So kind of just quiet movie career, right? With some, with some pretty good moments in there. Yeah, I think he's solid. Very yeah. solid actor. Yeah, I was going to mention Man from Elysium Fields. That's a movie nobody has seen, right? Yeah, that's one. We, someday we have to introduce that. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure thing. But I will agree with you on this. This whole diabetic stroking out that Michael does several times throughout the movie is pretty ridiculous. I like that it rallies the family together and it brings the children together. It brings Kay back into the fold and less of... This movie's less cantankerous Kay, right? I mean, it's her kind of like really trying and I like that her and Michael do try and make amends here. That that scene, though, where they're confessing their ever-long love for is fairly ridiculous. But I do like that they're trying. And it's not just, like, so hostile like it was the last two films. Obviously, these two don't fit together. But I was shocked to find this out, that after the first Godfather, or I think after 74, the two of them did have a relationship. Really? For real, Pacino and Keaton, yeah. Wow. And so when they showed up on the set of this film, it didn't end well. Because I, she wanted kind of, she wanted to get married, and Pacino was like, "I'm, my, I'm so busy with this career, I just can't, can't do it." So they split. So when they got to this movie, it was kind of like how the characters are in this movie. It was a bit cantankerous, um, but they did make amends. And I guess uh, he had a family member died during production, and she went with him, and they were able to kind of bury the hatchet of their kind of past ill wills toward, towards each other. So I kind of thought that was pretty interesting. That is interesting. And he stuck to his guns with that because that was the deal breaker between him and Beverly D'Angelo yeah, yeah. some years ago too. Mm-hmm. But they, he says, I'm going to have girlfriends and not wives. Yeah. Good for him and Derek. Yeah, Good t- for him and Derek Jeter. <laughs> Derek if Jeter. I was Derek Jeter, I would never get married either, well, would you? Sure, yeah, yeah. He's the king of New York. He's the prince of New York. To Derek <laughs> Jeter. No, Michael Corleone is. Yeah. Or Joey Zaza is now. Um. Yeah, these uh, diabetic uh, strokes that happen in this film, they're they are crazy. And the one that happens later when he's about to confess his sins, apparently the Roman papacy just has orange juice and candy bars at the, at the ready, oh, right? Oh, come on, I know. <laughs> that was pretty crazy. I was just, <laughs> yeah. my blood sugar, something's happening. and uh, They could have just given him the Eucharist because that's just white sugary carbs. It would have done the same thing. He eats like a whole, that could have been There's great. Cardboard. Give him some wine or something. There you go. Wine. Yeah. that what? Would, Yeah. They give him like a baby Ruth. <laughs> and he's like, chunk, he's like chunk from the Goonies. Man. And then drooling all over himself. Yeah. It's just like, and he's eating it like, Oh, like he's like, that was a creative choice that needed to not be in this movie. Yeah. Have him like maybe have a real stroke by a diabetic stroke. Okay. You brought it up. We have to address the other, one of the other elephants in the room and that's him and Kay. Okay. Wait, now? Can we talk about... Eh. We can do whatever you want. How do you want to go? We're going to... She's going to come up sooner or later. <laughs> Let's talk about Sofia Coppola first. Her, her feet? No, just her in general. Okay. This is the weak link of the movie, in my opinion, and it's just... It's it's one of those things where we got to talk about, you know, some of the people that were in the running mm. uh, for, for this role, too. Uh, was initially offered to Winona Ryder, famously, who 
was just coming off another film and like went like one week and then right into this thing and she was Is this movie before or after Dracula? Before. Mm-hmm. So Dracula's kind of like the let's try again with Winona Ryder. Interesting. For oh. Coppola. Okay. So she came and she was supposed to play, yeah, the Mary character and was just she she ended up having almost like a nervous breakdown from just being like exhausted, overworked and she just had to walk away from the production, which kind of soured a lot of people. Pacino and Diane Keaton went to bat for her a little bit, saying, like, you got to do what's best for you. So She was exhausted from Heathers or Roxy Carmichael and well, couldn't she, do she, Godfather 3? Well, she had, it was, like, Heathers, Mermaids, and, like, that one, like, bam, 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 like, all in, like, the same year. So this was, it was probably just too much. So, wow. The one interesting aspect was there's an actress, uh, I don't know if you know her name, but Rebecca Schaefer, you might know the case, though. She was the favorite to get the role, and she was being sent the script the day, and she had, like, a stalker. She was, like, a TV actress, and she was killed, like, the day she was supposed to read the script for this film. Oh, my God. So she could have maybe gotten it. Um, but you know who might have been pretty good in this? And it's only because I was watching Time Cop the other day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Ferris Bueller's girlfriend, Sloan Peterson, Mia yeah, Sarah. Mia Sarah. That might have been pretty good. Sure. Could have been better. <laughs> okay, I, I I don't know. I, I Is she a bad actress or is the is the part bad? I don't think the part's bad. I just, some of the delivery is just, it's stilted. It's, I think the relationship's <laughs> not right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I just, I feel like it's just, she doesn't fit the part as, as much as she's tied into the Coppola legacy. Okay. Man, what if this was, what if Nicolas Cage was playing Vincent? It'd be really incestuous. <laughs> Boy, wouldn't that? And he'd probably be fine with Real it. Cousins. Oh, man, he would go full method on that. He's <laughs> way too weird. He would totally be full method on that. Yikes. No. Uh, yeah, okay. I feel, it's, I kind of, I do feel bad for her a little bit because she got, she got slaughtered in the, in the criticisms for this movie. Nominated for the, all the Razzies, right? Mm. Worst actress, worst new stars. So Damn, really? If there was any hope of an acting career, I think this killed it, right? So. Do I'm, you know who Maxine Bonds is? Uh-uh. Um, Edward, oh God, what is that guy's name? I'm going to come back to this. Uh, he was popular for about five minutes. Okay. Um, hang on. Let me go with whatever you're going to go with while I look this up. No, I just think there's the whole Bram Stoker's Dracula thing with the Winona Ryder. It's just kind of like, yeah, second, second chance there. But I don't know. You could arguably say, I don't know, maybe Winona Ryder in this movie. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's worse. Honestly, like I like Winona Ryder, but I don't know. She's not really overly amazing for me all the times as well. I mean, Heather's is kind of great because Christian Slater is really good in that movie. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this is just a role set up to fail. The worst actress I've ever seen okay. is Maxine Bonds. Okay. Maxine Bonds only had a career in film because she, at the time she was acting, if that's what you want to call it, she was rolling with Edward Burns. And this is that three film series when Edward Burns and like the brothers McMullen and the other two that preceded and postdated that, mm. where he was mattered for about five years. And then everybody realized like, yeah, this guy's really not worth a shit either. And cause he's, he's, he's a nothing now also that I know, unless he's producing. Saving in some Ryan a part of that, you know, yeah. right. Maxine Bonds is the worst actress I have ever seen. Okay. She's awful. Sophia Coppola and, and maybe <laughs> this is weird. It doesn't, it's not as off putting to me, her acting ability as it is you. I don't think she's great, Yeah. but I think it kind of works because she's so awkward in the role. The relationship with Vincent takes on an awkwardness because sure. it is. Yeah. And it kind of fits in a way. Um, I only see, 
I'm not defending Sophia Coppola in this, so please don't anybody like give me a break, Matt. Yeah. I I only see Sophia Coppola matter in this film insofar as the love interest for Vincent. Mm-hmm. And it speaks to one of the issues that I have at the end of the film too, is I just don't care when she dies. I'm like, okay, that's that's the great loss. I yeah. guess it sort of sucks. Yeah. Poor Vincent. He's lost his his wife or his girlfriend. <laughs> Jeez. His cousin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that the yeah. Um I didn't know she had been widely panned like that. Is she better for you in Virgin Suicides? Does she ever get it? Does she ever get it better? I don't know. Uh, I don't know because I think because I think she's really terrible in that movie. Yeah, uh, that movie's really terrible. And then as a filmmaker, I don't love a lot of it either. No, Lost in Translation is one of the ten most overrated films I've ever seen. I actually like Lost in Translation, but like I don't like Virgin Suicides, and I don't like Marie Antoinette. Uh, Oh, Marie Antoinette made me vomit. (laughs) Kirsten Dunst. Uh, Talk about another bad actress. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just... Oh, and then she did, was the other one, The Bling Ring. I, that didn't do it for me either. I don't know. It's just... Hmm. I want more out of this character because I know it's supposed to be really important, but like at the end, like when she's just like, Dad, why are you doing this to me? Why you mean I want you to kiss your cousin? <laughs> it's just like, yeah, he's got a good point. Right. Uh, yeah, it's just... It's kind of a miss, and she's the crux, emotional crux at the end of this thing, mm-hmm. which is... Uh, whatever. But I think it's just more, I think it was a last-minute replacement, right? It's just like... That's too bad, Jesse, because there couldn't have been a shortage of people that would have wanted to play this part oh, yeah. and work in this franchise with these directors and this talent. Jennifer Connelly. Like, there we could, you go. We could have gotten a lot of interesting people at that time that looked that part, that brunette Italian look, and played this pretty well. It was just probably... Annabella Shiroa. I think they were already in production. It was just like, we're either going to shut this down or we get a replacement. It's just like, my daughter's like on set already. Let's just do it. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. So then Coppola, of course, it gets cues of nepotism and whatever. But Which would be accurate. Yeah, and it's just, I think I think he feels bad about it too, right? I mean, I think he, the way she got kind of crucified in the in the press for her performance and stuff, I think he feels kind of bad about putting her in that position. So I don't know. This is just, this is a Coppola that's just not as refined. Again, this, the man was, that man died in Apocalypse Now. <laughs> so yeah. this is a very different filmmaker than the filmmaker we had with parts one and two. Okay. It's all interesting to me. I love reading about this stuff and sure. the, the, the the what ifs and the who's he what's it's and it's yeah all this behind the scenes drama. Oh and yeah yeah Robert Duvall they wanted him yeah Tom you need to be the lawyer in this thing because you're the miss you're the piece that connects the, all the other pieces together from the last films and he was like well I want uh, as much money as Pacino's making and I was like yeah but you have like like a very small part in the movie and he's like well I'm out. <laughs> Come on. So they had to create this whole new character for him. So that really kind of upset Coppola as well. There seems to be some signals. Yeah. Prior to even principal photography, because casting has to happen before that occurs. Mm -hmm. So maybe they're into the cost of the script. So about a million, two million, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Devolves out. You can't find what is an adequate crux, emotional crux of the film. That's Mm -hmm. the Mary character. Yeah. It's... 16 years too late, which is probably a decade too late. Six years, I, 80, I buy in 1980, people probably still cared. And honestly, and, and there's a lot of reasons why this should have never made made it to the Yeah, and, and in 1990, it's just all going to be overshadowed, overshadowed by a much better mob movie, Goodfellas. Yeah. It's coming out the same year, and everyone's just like, that movie is way better. Way better. So, yeah, I think they're just... They're just, they're really grasping at straws here in this production. I do got to say, I mean, it's just, it's still not as bad as like, I think people give it credit for. Like, I don't think this is Matrix 
Revolutions level of bad. Like, that's a bad movie. Like, I don't think this is Hangover 3 level of bad. Like, there's some misses in this film, but, like, it's still, like, I'm still watching it. I'm still want to know what's going to happen to these characters at the end of this thing. Okay, you're right. I'll give you that. Uh, Yeah, so we spend a lot of time in Sicily here. I think he's made amends, and he's willing to come see the performance of his son, who's got this great gig here at the Sicilian Opera. I did like this moment. I thought this was interesting and getting to watch Michael's emotions kind of play. So his son wrote a song for him, right? And he's going to sing it for him. But the song is the melody of the Godfather theme, Mm -hmm. but with lyrics. Mm -hmm. And I was really trying to pay attention to the lyrics. And it's really about someone who's like really like wasted away their life with kind of deception and crime. And and it's kind of, he tells him, he's like, I wrote it for you, dad. And it, I think it really hits Michael kind of hard. And I, I, first of all, the diegetic sound of he's singing a song that's the theme song to the movie is kind of crazy to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think it's a pretty good moment and a, a chance for him to open up to his kids because the next scene, he's telling them about Apollonia. Okay, so here's a, probably another road that we are divergent upon. Mm-hmm. It's clearly whatever he's singing is causing Michael some remorse. Yeah. Of all the mistakes that he's made as he looks back at this crime and syndicate that he's built... Why is the flashback? And I love Apollonia, but that's what he feels the most remorse about. It's not Fredo because we don't get Fredo. We don't get Sonny. We don't get his dad. We don't get the breakup with Kay. We don't, we get Apollonia. We get the Fredo moment when he confesses here in a bit, but yeah, this is the one part that makes him, I guess, because he's never told his kids about it before. (laughs) And I, I I think the Apollonia character is a lot about Michael because she offered an opportunity for him to, I think, truly, show a loving side. He truly loved that woman. Mm-hmm. He does not, and I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> I don't care what the actors say. I don't care what it says on paper. He does not love Kay. Yeah. It's not possible. He tells her, would you like me more if I was Ingrid Bergman? Kay, shut up. He's never loved her. And that goes back to all of the kind of just argumentative, naggy, I realize what I'm in, and as I wear these really expensive clothes that this lifestyle has provided me, I'm going to sit here on high and complain about this life that you've led and punish you for it, but please don't get the crucifixion blood on these fine, fine shoes that you've purchased for me. I hate her. If you're going to lament over the loss of Apollonia, I get it, but then you can't immediately go from that to him, this cute little chauffeur, driving Kay around the streets of Sicily in this quaint little cutesy, let's try to get back together, horseshit moment. I like the driving around cutesy part of it, but I don't like this kind of throwing it all out there when they're sitting at that table and he's like, I've always loved you. And she's like, I guess I've always loved you too, Michael. And this and that, like that's these two, we've already established in the last two films have set up that they can never be together the way they ever imagined they could because they don't really care about each other that way. But I do like Michael trying to make an effort of like, let me show you the hometown. Let me let me actually be cordial to you instead of so cantankerous with you, Kay. A little bit like the old time, right? Shopping mm-hmm. in New York for Christmas presents. It's kind of just like them just being two people together. Kids. I'm, I'm okay with that. But not okay with the just the love you confessions that, that almost made me vomit. Although attempted. Yeah. Did Fredo ever kill any members of Michael's family? Not intentionally or not like, not that we know of. Yeah. He tried yeah. or well, he took a uh, rival force down a road that allowed that to possibly happen. Did Kay ever kill any members of Michael's family? 
Yeah, she aborted his son, right? Oh, yeah, that one, yeah. How is it, then, that blood <laughs> that doesn't kill any members of your family gets killed, not blood that does kill members of your family, gets removed from the family, and 16 years later, invited back with open arms, and I'm sorry? Well, if he killed Kay, Matt, he would just lose all respect from his kids if they found out, so. I'm not, okay, fine, which they've kind of already done anyway because they're pissed off at him over Fredo. Yeah. Okay, I mean, if the argument is, like, for his kids, all the more reason why she should not even be brought back into the film. She killed his kid. Yeah. That, to me, is a huge miss. It's just inconsistent. I'm going to take out my brother, although he didn't kill my family, and you could argue he might do it again. Okay, that's fair. Mm -hmm. You could say, then, Fredo deserved that fate, but if Fredo deserved that fate, and Michael clearly is remorseful for it, because he tells you, it comes up, he's sad, he misses, he, he misses, and he feels bad for what happened to Fredo. He liked Fredo more than he loved than he loved Kay, and I just don't understand. Other than Diane Keaton needed a gig, or maybe this was the only way they could get her back in the film, they could have had her in this in a way that is not them reconciling their differences. There is no again back to the same thing for me. There's no way, even though Michael has turned over a new leaf and is more peaceful and more calm and trying to be uh, more genteel, that he would ever forgive Kay for the murder of his son, especially male heir, with what he said regarding his actions towards Anthony and towards Mary and why he will not let Vincent date Mary, not because of incest, because it endangers her. She did the unthinkable. She killed a young Corleone and she gets invited back and he gives her or d'oeuvres at his... <sighs> I like the reconciling. I don't like the... We're, we're, we're soulmates, right? That doesn't make sense. No, they're not soulmates. You're right. But I do like... To me, the reconciling is much like an alcoholic trying to make amends with all these past mistakes. And that, that to me is the film, is Michael trying to really... Reconcile his differences? Reconcile his past. And that's why that confession with the new Pope, interim Pope... I think is is a pretty cool a pretty cool little scene. I mean, that's Michael admitting for the first time, I've done bad things. I've done this. I had my brother killed. I've yeah. was I was a terrible husband. I was a terrible father. I did all these these bad things. So, can God forgive me? Maybe that's this, the difference. Yeah. Like where and that's yeah, you're defending that well and of course that's what you think and maybe mine is I want the legacy of the family. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's I, two, I, I, two I, different I, viewpoints. Yeah. I just, it's, yeah, do you want the Michael, yeah, going this way, or and I, I'm still going up until this this time, I'm still going with this remorseful, trying to make amends Michael, because you can't have a character who just stays evil, is or gradually stays evil, but this, to me, this series has been pretty good about arcing him in a, in a pretty good way, so this kind of seems like a nice, refreshing take on what an agent Michael might be. So that that's, that's why I like it. That's what at least jumped out to me in this viewing that I think I forgot about watching part three. And it's been a while since I saw part three, at least maybe 10 years. Yeah, me too. So what do you think about, okay, the papacy's assassination attempts on Michael? Do you like this assassin guy? He's, he's kind of brutal. I mean, yeah, he has his ways of kind of dispatching the people, but it's, it's another thing we got to kind of keep track of. Um, yeah, the weird thing about that is it plays out exactly like they design it to play out with him. Uh, it's sort of black hand ineffective as we try to assassinate Archduke Franz Ferdinand about every turn he runs into another obstacle and then just happens to 
shoot Franz Ferdinand as he takes a wrong turn in a parade down the wrong street, and there's the guy walking home, and Gavilio Princip gets lucky and makes history. Boom, World War One. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. In the same way, this sort of happens. Uh, I found this opera scene to be... Or we're at the final. Well, I mean, do you, is there more you want to do? Well, before that, I mean, Vincent does take the seat as head of the family. Yeah. I thought that was a pretty good moment, too. And for everything about closing and opening doors that this series has, that scene ends with Michael and Talia Shire leaving, and then the door closes. And it's almost like that chapter's done, right? I mean, yeah. I am literally handing over the highest seat of power in this family, too. He's proven himself enough to me. And I think I've defanged him a little bit to not be so volatile to be a little more controlled where i think i can trust him leading this family into the next decade or whatever instead of acting violently think about it before you need to act violently because violence is hasty it's so those scenes when the person sits in that chair and they start kissing rings and stuff that person gets so comfortable with power because vince is just like yeah you kiss me kiss me it's just Mm -hmm. like there's something about it right that chair that seat of power is, and it's the image that the last movie started with, was whoever wields that throne, right, is going to get consumed by it at some point. It's it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Maybe not Don Vito because he had those very humble roots that we get to witness, but I kind of wonder what's going to happen with Vincent. And th- this event here at the end is probably really going to spin him out, right? Sure. I'm going to kill all of it. <laughs> all of it, right. So I thought that was a pretty good moment le- leading into it and... Uh, yeah, we got the we got the, this 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 opera scene. We're gonna see the son perform, but there's an assassination attempt. But much like the other Godfather films, on top of that, we're planning hits while this is happening, right? So this is Vince's turn to eliminate the players, the Immobilari, all the other Dons, uh, Eli Wallach, and let's get all these people we suspect. It, it's kind of a, a Godfather trope, right? We do a big event and we kill people through. Mon- or a series of shots, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What, what, what do you think of the the finale? I mean, we joked offhandedly about Eli Wallach's cannoli eating, but oh my god, he's going to town on this cannoli forever. How many cannolis did she give him? He is nursing. If that's one cannoli and he is devouring it as voraciously as he is, <laughs> that is either a huge cannoli or his mouth doesn't work very well. <laughs> he is eating that for the whole first act of the of the opera. I know. It's one cannoli. And she's watching him with the little binoculars just waiting for him because it's poisoned, right? It's all, yeah. And he is overacting in his enjoyment in that so, <sighs> so bad. Few times in my life have I ever seen anyone as joy enjoy a shower as much as we see in the original Psycho. <laughs> Face first against the water, yeah. You know what I mean. <laughs> she is so happy cleaning herself in that shower that it's almost unbelievable. <laughs> Am I right? Uh, yes, I can picture Janet Lee's face right now. Janet Lee is mm, this water. Yes, I'm rinsing off the sin of it's mostly stealing this yeah, car and hotel this. shower too, oh, right? Because yeah, yeah, hotel yeah. showers kind of mostly suck. Oh, she meets her demise, unfortunately, and yeah. I guess Eli Wallach is enjoying a cannoli like no man on earth has ever consumed any morsel of food. It's pretty good to his own demise, and it's. <laughs> It's just so so poorly acted and so overwrought. Uh, I do like He's still fucking Tuco. No matter what you say, he'll yeah, never not be Tuco. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, or a Magnificent Seven. Yeah. yeah. He, uh... <laughs> why can't... Why, as a man who is, I believe, of Jewish origin, why is he <laughs> slated in these roles of vigilante Hispanic? 
He's good at it, I guess. Are you, is he? I, I, I don't. Is he? I don't know. I think he's good as, uh, yeah, in uh, The Ugly and Good, Bad, and The Ugly. Okay. Uh, no, it's, it's uh, I do like the, the, the design of this opera and all the, just the hidden compartments and the assassins kind of in and out trying to see if he can get, get this hit on Michael. I do got to say, excuse me, these other hits that take place are pretty gruesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, these other dons that meet their demise, uh, the one he gets like hung underneath the bridge and suffocated this other guy gets his jugular ruptured by his own glasses. I mean, that one was mm-hmm. that one shocked me. That's right out of Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, that, that is it's it's brutal. That's a big violent scene. But come come on, Al. Yeah, or no, that's a it's 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 a Carlo, right? Yeah, not Fabrizio, but Carlo. That was pretty good. I thought it was interesting to see Al Neri still in in this thing, mm-hmm. and uh, Johnny Fontaine makes an appearance early on as well. Yeah, and it's is it it's. Is it Carlo? That's the one that his other bodyguard that didn't betray him in Sicily is the one that kills that guy with his glasses. I think so, yeah. yeah. I think his name's Carlo. And then you have this Archduke character who just gets shot on the steps, and then I love his, like, puppet that, like, falls down. Like, it's, it's like, it works for me. You know what I didn't understand? When Al is on that train yeah. to kill the Archduke, he's eating a pastry the same way that Eli Wallach's character is. Mm-hmm. I'm not, why would you do that? Why would you, other than to plant the seed of, oh my God, maybe they're going to do in Al because maybe Al had ties that weren't legitimate. In the, like that, that doesn't make sense. Why would you parallel those two moments with each other? Well, I think he was just, I think he was just indul- indulging in some sweets that were, that was hiding the gun under there to not be so inconspicuous. No. I mean, it's just that, that's, that's a little moment there, but we get, and then the, the Pope, they killed the Pope, right? With yeah. a poison, poison tea. tea? So all the players, this whole deal, this whole thing's just going to go tits up, and um, we kind of think Michael's going to meet his demise here. Much like like Michael's like set up to be Lincoln, right here mm-hmm. in the booth. Yeah, and no, that ends. But he's told Vince, he's like, "You can be Don and run this family, but you got to leave my daughter out of this. Leave her alone." And, he, and he's like, "Okay, I will." And she's just like, "What? What's going on here?" Find someone else to love. Yeah, and then we get this scene on the steps here, which should be like very powerful, and it's just it's kind of crazy. It's Sophia calling, "Dad, why would you do this to me?" And then she gets shot. I do love Andy Garcia's kill shot on this assassin, like from the top steps to like the bottom, and he just like guns that guy down. Like that's a pretty good image there, him like with the gun like that. And then yeah, we get Michael. We get the Al Pacino, right? We get him just like losing his mind, <laughs> just going out the gate. Mouth agape, and part of me, again, in the flight, I kind of pitched a different ending to this film where Michael's gunned down, dies, and the family reacts and probably continues on his legacy and very nefarious intentions. But here, it does fit the the film ending in just kind of these grim, morose ways. Just when I thought they were kind of all kind of getting along and the kids are talking to him and... He's setting up good legacies that this happens. And this family is just like ruined after this, right? Mm-hmm. This, the daughter gets killed in front of them. So I do feel bad for them, but I don't know if it's the way I want the movie to end, right? Yep. Yep. I, I don't know what to say other than. Do you think he overacts this scene here? Yes. This <laughs> yes. I think he's mostly overacted all of his dramatic bits from his diabetic episodes to telling Vincent to shut up. I think this is bad Pacino and it's not the vocal things. He can't control that. His voice has just changed for some reason or another, but 
this is the Al Pacino who is so overcaught in method emoting. Yeah. And maybe it's just, if you use the method philosophy from the, the rudimentary knowledge of this that I have never having been in Strasbourg's Academy, which is calling upon moments from your past to rekindle authentic emotions that portray the character authentically to the audience. Mm -hmm. Pacino must be furious. Yeah. Because that's all he is. Incent of a woman is the same thing. <laughs> yeah. From this point forward in his career, yeah, Al Pacino is nothing but angry. Heat is a little, maybe an outlier in that, I think. But yeah, scent of a woman, this Carlito's way, it's just like, yeah. yeah, he's just yelling at everybody. It's the same character for, again, I don't know his entire filmography, but you're with me. He plays the same role or this, each character the same way. Did that change a little bit with Scarface? Is that the turning point? To just like from yeah, that, maybe. I don't know, but he's kind of. I think he's good in that movie, but like everything after that is like a parody of that role. Michael Corleone, Frank Slade, Scarface—they're all—they're all the—they're kind of all the same. Yeah, but no, yeah, this is definitely just like Carlito Brigante. Yeah, way over oh, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty over the top here. Uh, yeah, and I just—I just don't know if this is the way that they envisioned the movie. Maybe it is. I don't know, but. We do get this little anecdote. Many years later, we get an aged Michael Corleone here, still hanging out in Italy. And I, I do remember this difference. In the original cut, Michael slumps over and dies here, and then the film cuts to black here. He's just sitting in the chair, and then he puts his shades on. <laughs> He's like, I'm not dying before I put my glasses mm -hmm, on. Mm -hmm. And then the film just cuts to black. So I guess we imply that he died after that. Um, I don't know what the intention was with that. We get a some Sicilian quote there, which kind of wraps everything up, but I don't know why they removed him slumping over and dying. I mean, the movie's called the death of Michael Corleone. We probably need to see that. What would have been really fascinating is in this new cut is if he did die on those steps and there was like just alternate footage. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's, but how, how can you end this monumental family saga? Right. On, on kind of a good note. I, I don't know. It's kind of hard to do. Yeah, no, it's, Part of the, Michael's success is part of the problems of this film. Michael's been so successful through two films at wiping out his rivals, they're really struggling to find a worthwhile rival left to do him in. Mm -hmm. So that's part of one of the challenges when you come in with a trilogy where your protagonist slash antagonist has been as effective as they are. Mm -hmm. Do you have enough time to give me reason to care about another rival, Joe Zaza, the Vatican, Eli Wallach, the answer for me in this film was no. So when we get the montage or the series of shots where he wipes out all of his rivals, political, religious, or otherwise, the one guy that they end up hanging from whatever bridge it is, I didn't even know who that guy was. I know he's working for the Cohen family and shaving some money off the top. There is, we see him two other times. Yeah. Okay. I get the, the, the religious leaders kind of, I'll put that back to the immobiliary and the real estate development. Okay. So if you want to do real estate development, have them killed at like a construction site. There's just, <laughs> there's so many things that were undefined in this film, but there were some moments that also were defined to be fair. The series of shots, as you stated, is a staple in Godfather franchise canon. And by the time that was done, much like my eye roll and laughing with shut up, Vincent, I was like looking at my father-in-law hand in my heads when Al kills that other Don. I don't even know who that Don is. 
He looks like an accountant. The accountant, Don. Well, these are all guys that are in on the immobiliary. Yeah. And we've seen that guy before a little bit. And we see him with Eli Wallach try to pitch Vincent on the plan for Vincent to do a, a, you know. uh, Come to the other side. What the hell? Sleeps with the fishes. Um, out. What the hell is that guy's name? Luca Brazzi. There you go. To be a Luca Brazzi role from the first film yep. with these guys. Uh, by taking his glasses, brutal and akin to Freddy or Michael, but not. You're not going to be able to take some plastic frame glasses again. It, it, I, I liked it. I like it. it was some gruesomeness I needed. It in is. It's, no, yeah. it's it's good violence. Yeah. It's it's great violence. It's just for me. No, it's it's just the thing is so far off the rails at this point. Again, back to what I said earlier, I just didn't care yeah. anymore. That's uh, that's sad for me because I cared a tremendous amount about all of those characters in the first two films. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, that's just that's that's just the difference between filmmakers and actors who are invested in the product and then trying to come back many years later. Do we got anything left in the tank? And sometimes that can work. We've seen that mm-hmm. as much as this year with Top Gun Maverick. Sure. And we've yeah. seen it with Creed and right. uh, Cobra Kai and all these other great shows that pick up years after something leaves off and someone has a take. But honestly, I think everyone involved, Puzo, Coppola, Pacino, they just all burnt out on this idea. Maybe. Who can blame them? It's probably, there's some room on the editing floor of footage. Mm-hmm. They probably shot 10 hours of film mm-hmm. that made it to the editing room in two films. I get it. Yeah. Traveling across, dealing with the <laughs> Brando's ego, Pacino's ego, De Niro's ego. Yeah. I mean, family, Con- Connie wants a bigger role because she, ugh, I, I get it. Yeah, it's I get it. Lot. It's probably been a lot. Yeah. Well, just, they made a whole show about it, right? Yeah, they did. <laughs> so. so I, I can grant them that grace, but yeah, this was just so half-baked. Yeah. Um, I feel a little bit differently, but I okay. have questions to ask you. Yeah. Uh, what was your favorite tasting note? Well, this film was nominated for a bunch of Oscars. Again, I just think this it was really super overshadowed by like how just masterful Goodfellas is this yeah. same year. It's just when you come out the same year as that film, it's just like you're playing for for second like the entire time. Mm-hmm. There's no way to overcome that masterpiece. Go back and listen to that episode. Yeah. Uh, but what was your favorite tasting note of Godfather Part Three? Watching the first time we see Vincent really go off the rails, and that's his attack on Joe Zaza that's and whatever. Strange. Let's make the peace, bury the hatchet meeting that Michael hosts. What's yours? I think mine's this this final montage killing of mob and papacy and the opera. There's something about operatic music when kind of done well. Like I would love to just see opera properly it's it's so fascinating because you can't understand it because it's in a foreign language it's maybe hard to follow the story and did you watch this opera it was like a jesus opera mm-hmm. and this dude this sexy jesus comes out weird dude, he, on the steps and then they have like one on the cross and he was like kind of gruesome looking yeah very strange opera that was going on but that soundtrack while they're killing the people in classic godfather style was just that felt like how these films have felt for the last two so that that's that's my favorite moment Okay, what do we got here? What is the oh my God! moment of The Godfather, part three, Coda, Death of Michael Corleone? Watching the first makeout scene between Vincent and Mary in that, I, I think it's maybe like a bar? No, it was like a, no. That it, office? It's what? a bar, they're in the kitchen. There you go. And he's making pasta. It's weird, And they man. start rolling Noki, man. This is how you do the dough. Like you just, and he's moving the finger. It's supposed to be very sexual. Like they're rubbing something, rubbing something else. And 
Yeah. There's, there's seems to be, I don't share this belief, but there's a belief in Hollywood that food can be very sexy. I'll give you nine and a half weeks. Yeah, sure. I don't see it that way. I'll give you Last Tango in Paris. I don't see it that way. I think it's. Do you remember that scene in Hot Shots, the first one when Charlie yes. Sheen cooks an egg on her back? Valeria Galeno. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's exactly who that is. I don't see it as, and when it's incestuous, it's even weirder. Sure. Oh, I've got, yeah. Talk yeah. about dropping you right out of a film on your head. Yeah. There you have it. Yeah, I think I got to pick that relationship as being, oh my, oh my God, because that, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, I was just like, this is weird, right? Like, this hey, is- Hey, cuz, I love you. Yeah. Hey, cuz, I want you. Yeah, that's- what? I, was, I was like, this is, this is strange, but the film is portraying it as in it's not weird at all, and so that really, really bothered me quite a bit. Yeah. Which, yeah, he should- Again, second cousins, maybe I'm looking the other way. I mean, I guess you could defend it by saying having incestuous relationships and family legacies that are throne related. Oh, it happened all the time. Is not, yeah, it happened all the time, but. Not in the 70s. No, and no, no. Maybe it did. Who knows? <laughs> but I'm with you. Yeah, that's the just. Kennedys? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. That's an element that just is not to be eaten in this movie because it makes it everything more distracting as well. On top of having to watch Sophia just kind of struggle through this role. Yeah. Who's the master distiller on the Godfather part three? A little tough for me to find one. And I don't think it was worthy of an Academy Award nomination, but I will give it to Andy Garcia because I do think that his portrayal of Sonny reimagined with a bit more piss and vinegar and hot headed, more hot headed, Plus an amazing origin. I give this movie credit on that's how they chose to put him in the film was really well done. So I'm mm-hmm. going to give it to Andy Garcia. Good choice. Thanks. I am going to give it to cinematographer Gordon Willis. He's been the DP for parts one, two, and three. I think the guy just paints a really good canvas. So remember we talked about it the last week, how Coppola just like really likes to set the scene and let it play out. And you got these like establishing shots and yeah. Everything feels very lived in. I kind of, I really felt the same in this. It, it definitely felt like one of the other films in look. Yeah. So for sure. Yeah, Gordon Willis had a very prominent uh, cinematography career, but always going to be known for those Godfather films. And kind of cool that they got him back for this third one. That's cool. How are you going to rate and grade the Godfather Part Three: Code of the Death of Michael Corleone? So let me answer with three different albums for you. Okay. Three albums I want to give you are Tusk. Jar of Flies, and Zuropa. Mm. Each of those three albums followed a smash success by the band that did the album. That's uh, U2, Fleetwood Mac, and Alice in Chains. Yeah. One of them's brilliant, mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant. Yeah. It's Jar of Flies. Yeah. One of them's complete shit. It's Zuropa. Yeah. Fucking garbage. And one of them was a bit like Vertigo, sort of hard to take at the beginning, but the more you listen to it, you recognize there's actually a lot of artistry in this, sort of in the way that maybe like Pet Sounds was sort of disregarded at first because it wasn't like, here's my little do scoop. It's a little feel flows, even though that was not, that's that's uh, that's not that album, but sort of sure. a bit more ethereal. Yeah. When you take something that is established, and so I'm taking like the sound of Fleetwood Mac or prior U2 or prior Alice in Chains and comparing that to the Godfather 1 and 2 and establishing a formula that is successful and then choosing to stray from that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that it can't work, and I've given you an example of it really working. Let's do Alice in Chains. Let's strip it down. Let's go acoustic. There's no feedback. It's nothing Gen X or grunge should be familiar with but it works maybe to the point where i'd say that's their best album yeah this movie 
I think, is Tusk. It's ambitious. It tries to new, do new things. And for me, some, you know, 30 years after-ish, really being introduced to Tusk, there's about five or six tracks on there that I really, really like. Fucking Storms is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some there's some really good things in there. Beautiful Child is brilliant. Like, that's Stevie Nicks at her ghostly best. Ghostly? <laughs> right? At her witchy best. Oh. Well, yeah. That's actually Connie in this movie. Like, I think older Italian woman just is, like, disguised yeah. as witch. Don't they look witchy? Mm-hmm. Anyway, all of that digression is me saying, I think mostly for me this film is a miss. Now, if this is just a movie that doesn't have the previous two before it, and I just sit down to watch this as a standalone film, mm-hmm. I probably don't hate it. Yeah. I'm probably okay with it. It's probably... Because you're not bringing all that baggage with you. It's probably call to maybe... Call minus, yeah, but this isn't, and the only reason that this movie was made was because of the first two films. Mm-hmm. So if your origin is that jaded and that powerful, and then rekindled, as I think, what's just a cash grab because there really wasn't a story left to be told after the second yeah, film. I think they struggled. Yeah, I would say that this movie probably is really close, but not quite to rot gut. This is probably well minus. This isn't the devil's armpit terrible film, but it is certainly Sophia's feet terrible film. (laughs) (laughs) If it's a standalone film, I don't hate it as much. Sure. But I I will never watch this movie again. Mm -hmm. And the only reason that I'm not giving it, because it is part of the sum total of three, Mm -hmm. Godfather, Coda, even though there's not three, it is part of the sum total of all of them. Yeah. It does have to hold up to some legacy. And I don't think Lindsey Buckingham putting down the guitar and the riffs that made Go Your Own Way, this powerful rock ballad that it did, and then putting his ear on the floor of the tile floor at some shock in some some house in Malibu, California, to make sure the acoustics are right for this weird, drug-induced, auteur version of music worked. Mm-hmm. It's ambitious. I'll give them credit for trying to do something different with Michael Corleone, but mostly none of it worked for me. So I'm going to go split the difference. I'm not going to go all the way to Rocket. Mostly that's out of respect for the other two films and what's left and what the legacy of this is. But um, I mean, I've just gone on for parts of an hour and 42 minutes telling you why I didn't like it. I, I have to support it with yeah, well minus. That's fair. Okay. I think I was a little more favorable towards this one and this, like, I think I was more surprised that I didn't, cause I remember not liking this. And I mean, how again, following in the footsteps, how could you follow something up? That's just so masterful in parts one and two. So I know I struggled with this film in the past and my kind of just go to, it's just like, yeah, Godfather part three best left unseen. Um, I'll change my tune a little bit. I, I would say this isn't required viewing, but if you're going to do the trilogy like we did, I would say add it in there. And I'm going to go call, maybe even call plus rating for this film. I liked the characters. I like what they did with them. I liked how they differentiated the time passage with them, with an aged Michael, a remorseful Michael, a uh, repensatory, uh, you know, trying to make amends Michael. Um, but there are decisions in here, the Sofia Coppola angle we've talked about, uh, the stuff of, with the Immobiliari just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But there's enough in there for me that I had a pretty good vested interest in this film. And so I'll give you a good uh, musical uh, analogy. So if parts one and two 
are Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band and Rubber Soul, mm. which is my favorite Beatles album. Mm-hmm. Mine too. This is Beatles for sale. This is, mm-hmm. there's some good tracks in there, but it's mostly a pretty forgettable album holding places between um, uh, what's going to be Help White. and... Um, White Album. Oh my God, what the hell is... Revolver? No, 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 no. Help and... Meet the Beatles? No, no, no. With the Beatles. Yeah. Those two. So it's just kind of there, right? Mm-hmm. There's some good stuff there, but it's nothing to really write home about. It's not as masterful as those two, like, pieces of art. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, it put let's let's play devil's advocate. Let's say you and I are Coppola and Puzo, and we made parts one and two, and it's just like, yeah, legendary films, amazing and then they come to us 16 years later and are like, we want a part three. You and I, I know, would yeah. just struggle to come up with any idea of where do we go next, right? I mean, that would be some of the hardest writing I could ever imagine. Oh, to hold up to the standard that was there before. Yeah. And that's not to belittle that Puzo couldn't and didn't try to do the same thing. Maybe he had the same struggles. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think using the Vatican as the chief rival is a terrible idea. That's kind of a great idea. Mm-hmm. They're very powerful. Yeah. And their reach is far, far, and they are very part, uh, clearly a huge part of the Corleone family. Like, that's not a bad choice. Yeah. But also, you know what wasn't a bad choice? Was having Christian Bale decide to take vengeance for his daughter on the gods that betrayed him. (laughs) So it's weird because twice in the last, what, like five weeks? Yeah. We've seen that, and I love that idea. I just, both of them never got there, but you're right. Not playing out, yeah. You're right. That it's... This is a tough assignment. Would you... Okay, so let's play that for a minute. Who do you want to be, Puzo or, or Coppola? I'd love to be Coppola. <laughs> All right, I'll be Puzo. They can see me go insane in the jungle in 78. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we go? Yeah, I just, you know, we, well, we got to get... We go, do we go with Vincent? We maybe do something with Vincent. I kind of like your idea of like having him being like an outlier, but let's give him a job and have him prove himself and kind of that whole thing you talked about. But um, we don't want him to be involved like you talked about with the party, like he comes to wanting to be involved with the family. I think that's pretty good. Um, Cause you know, I can give you another musical example of mm-hmm. a band that's been really successful and mostly never changed their album. And now no one gives a shit anymore. It's the red hot chili peppers. Yeah. For every blood sugar, such magic m- mystical, great song is on there. You have every song after that, that sounds just like what they've done. And that that's also a trap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we maybe do that with a touch of this Michael that is trying to get out and move on from this business. And maybe we got something there, but I don't know. It's tough. I no, think the decision tough. at the end of the day is just like, he's like, they want us to make Godfather three. What do we do? I was like, I don't know. Maybe we should say no. Gosh, does, or, that, make, does that make us Josh Olson? Yeah, maybe. Or it's no, mm. no. Cause we've already proved ourselves okay. <laughs> You're right. multiple times. Okay. No, I think what it does is, but I don't know, maybe they had a thing too, where this is either going to happen with or without us. And maybe we should be a part of it. Cause that's often the conversation with these sequels is they're going to make it. We can either be a part of it or we can just come and criticize it after it comes out because it isn't what we would have done. Well, and they, and then that means they shit all over our legacy. If someone's going to shit on our legacy. It's it's going to be, us. yeah, we'll do the shitting. <laughs> No, right? I mean, that's a point of view to take. Yeah, absolutely. So, I and I know they didn't set out to make a purposely bad movie, but I don't think anybody does, really. Do you, uh, do you think just, at the end of the day, these two guys looked at each other and high fived and said, Good job? Mm-mm. I don't either. I think they said, We're really done. We tried, but this, we know this wasn't 
That's honorable. Our, our best effort. Yeah, why not? I don't begrudge anyone for trying. And I think Puzo died a couple of years later. To try. And, you know, I think Coppola's going to redeem himself a little bit here with Dracula two years later, which I think is a much better effort than this film, but... With an equally rich property yeah. to venture into. There's yeah. no shortage of stories there as well. I know. Boy, he picked weird films, didn't he? I, I, American the, Zotrope. All the power to him, man. I mean, just when, when you have one and two in your filmography, I mean, you can do whatever you want, right? If you and I could sit down with five people from Hollywood and have lunch with them, mm-hmm. he would be one of my choices. That should be. Because I, you know the stories that guy would have? Oh, about brand actors, things, just, uh, just how movies are made. It's just having to bankroll your entire vineyard to fund a film. Like, it's just it's absurd. I'd bring him and Sam Peckinpah, and you can oh bring your God. last three. Oh, my God. They'd probably get in a fist fight, wouldn't they? There could be no drinking at this meeting. John Ford, maybe too. Oh God, no! It's just okay. So you brought there'd Peck be no drinking. Peckinpah. Uh, I would bring. I think Billy Wilder would have some good stuff to say yeah. about Marilyn Monroe specifically. Sure. Um, oh, who else? Throw Kazan in there and really stir up the pot. Oh my God! <laughs> that might be too heavy of a conversation for you. I kind of want to have a good time. Something light. That might be a bit much for me, but no, I'm with you. I mean, I think Coppola is yeah. a very interesting filmmaker for me. And it's honestly, if I said he made the conversations pretty good, but it's not one of my favorites, three masterpieces in there. Like not many filmmakers to say they have one masterpiece in their filmography, Fair, let alone three. Right. So it is what it is with, with Godfather part three. So yeah, I'm glad we did it. This was the one I was most looking forward to revisiting. Cause you know, I've done the other two many times, but this one I've, you know, we have a history of not liking it. So it was, interesting to come back at it and kind of see where we stand so yeah so cheers to you cheers to you cheers to the godfather cheers to coppola let's wrap up this thing with our nightcap So it's been kind of fun doing this trilogy parts one, two, and three. And we did this, we did John Wick, we did the Rocky, all six Rocky films. It's kind of fun doing them all back to back because you're pretty fresh with what happened the weeks prior, right? Mm -hmm. And so you take that knowledge and take it into the next weeks. And that either could impact your ratings on where they took it. And I think it's a fascinating way to do uh, some film reviews. So my nightcap to you is pitch it, we'll jot it down for the future. Another trilogy you would just like to dive into and do one, two, three sequentially. You want me to go first? Yeah. I'm going to do one that kills maybe three birds with one stone. One of the birds would be a possible trilogy in the future. But the other two are a genre that I think we've pretty wildly neglected. And the other one is a star that I don't think we've ever covered. Okay. And this is a big star. So the star's Clint Eastwood. The genre is Western, and I'm going with Blondie. So the man with a no-name trilogy, Fistful of Dollars for a Few Dollars More, and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Now, I can't believe Eli Wallach made it into the podcast multiple times <laughs> in the same day, but sometimes things happen on Rye Smile that we can't yeah. quite foresee. Yeah, That's one that I want to do, Jesse. Yeah, that'd be a good one. Spaghetti Western, Sergio Leone, the influence of American cinema abroad as seen. It's such a telling, yeah. telling depiction of what America they thought it was. <laughs> yes. Um, but I got to tell you, I think... There's not a bad film in that series. Uh, they're all so different, too. And they are. Yeah. And uh, can you believe we've never done a Clint Eastwood film? Mm. That's pretty shocking. And I mean, we've done a few Westerns here and there, but it's very few. 
Yeah, that would probably be the either that or like Dirty Harry. Like, I don't know if we would ever do like, maybe we would do Million Dollar Baby one day, but I don't know. That doesn't mm. sound so much fun to me. Yeah, no. <laughs> but no, I'm with you. That one definitely floated around in my head as kind Did of it. a must-do trilogy because I kind of, I, I like all, Good and Bad the Ugly is probably my favorite of that bunch. Sure. But Sergio Leone talking about Eastwood, Lee Van Cleef, that, that could be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And then all that influence that... uh they're taking two from Japan, right? Because yep. Yojimbo is yep. Blondie. Yep. So I'm curious if your answer is going to be the inspiration for the announcement we're about to make. What's coming up next? Oh, interesting. We, I don't know, not not quite. But I will preface by saying I did think about a trilogy set in the horror landscape that a director we talked about multiple times last week. I really want to do those Evil Dead movies. I want to do one, two, and Army of Darkness because you want to talk mm. about a palette of three totally different stylistically made films mm-hmm. all set in the same universe with one lead character. That would be cool. It would be awesome. Like, I, I couldn't, I could, like... That's a great one, Jesse. Yeah, one and two are, like, those are in, like, my top 50 movies. And, and number two, I, th- I think I told you last week, was in my top 10. So, yeah, I love the Evil... And I love Raimi. I just love talking about the guy and just how every everything was so grassroots with him and... I'll show you some of the drawings they did in the Bruce Campbell autobiography, but like to do the moving force that goes through the the woods, mm-hmm. they just strapped a 16 millimeter camera to a two by four and two guys held it and ran through it through the woods. That's awesome. And then, Gorilla. They, and then they would put Vaseline underneath the camera and slide it back and forth to kind of give it like an unnatural motion. Like they were coming up with crazy things that's with awesome. no money. But that's not my choice. Another choice, another trilogy I know we want to talk about. And I say trilogy because I know this film is, this series goes into five films, but we could stop ourselves at three. Mm-hmm. It's the Bourne trilogy. Mm-hmm. Identity, Supremacy, and Ultimatum. Yep. I think it's a space we really like. Espionage, spy thriller, and there's something about those Bourne films that clicks into something that that genre, other than maybe some of the early, the Craig Bond films like of that era, mm-hmm. They don't really go into, and it's man, it's Matt Damon just letting loose, and he's really good in them. And I love all the supporting: Joan Allen, mm-hmm. uh, Brian Cox, David Strathairian, Chris Cooper, like all the people that show up in that series is is amazing, right? So good, yeah. So that's one we got to do one day. To that, yeah. But we don't. Born Legacies, I don't think it, with Renner is. I don't think that's a bad movie. I don't either. With that Jason Bourne movie with uh, Tommy Lee Jones and Alicia Vikander, yeah, that blows. We don't have to do that. That that'll that'll be rough. But I think we would have a good time talking. Talking about one through three. Mm-hmm. Good choice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's it would just be fun just because everything just leads into the next one. So I think that was my favorite part of the Rocky franchise was all the emotions we had at the end with when we got to Balboa was just like we were carrying so much weight from the prior five weeks that it, I think it made that that episode and that film like that much more better because we were so fresh with it, right? Mm-hmm. So we got to do it again. God bless Ty Stallone. Yeah. Um. Alrighty, so that's the end of the Godfather trilogy cast. Go check it out. They're all on Paramount Plus right now. It's be shocking if you haven't seen any of these movies. I mean, that you have a serious notch missing in your movie watching belt. I mean, it's required viewing, right? Agreed. Whether you like that type of film or not, I mean, you just you have to put yourself down and at least try. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh man, my mm-hmm. favorite time of the year. Your favorite time of the year, I imagine as well. Uh, September's rearing its head around, so it's time to bring the spooks. And we could start the spooks in August. I would, I that would be awesome with me. But we got a cool thing we're gonna do here for for the month of September, and we're gonna just call it Passport to Horror. Mm-hmm. 
So make sure your passports are up to date. We're getting on the plane. We're going first. And our first little stop on the trek, we're going to stop in France. And a film I know you've been dying to talk about. One of your favorites. Do you want to set it up? Yeah, the uh, beginning of slasher horror and a huge influence on American cinema. And it is Georges Franju's Eyes Without a Face. Yeah. Uh, this is as artistic as you can possibly get with slasher, but um, beautifully executed with a pretty simple concept. Yeah. I can't wait to talk about this. And as much as the film will be discussed next week will be the influences and how far stretching this was with stuff that you and I well, ha- love, Hall- staples, Hall- staples in our life. Halloween, I mean, Carpenter has said on record that the inspiration for the Myers mask, this featureless mask is partially influenced by Christiane's uh, featureless mask that she wears throughout her house. Yeah, yeah, it gives gives me the chills. Yeah, There's there's a couple moments in this film that really make me uneasy, and I'll I'll, I'll talk about them, but I think we got a lot to talk about. Body horror, like this is a influence on Cronenberg. Like this is setting the stage for a a lot of things. So Mm -hmm. I can't wait to talk about it. We're starting in France first, and we're going to make a – Pretty interesting journey with with this one. But. Do you want to tell them the countries we're going to visit as a tease? Yeah, no, I won't tell the films, but we'll, yeah. we're going to make a stop in Italy. Mm-hmm. We're going to make a stop in Sweden, mm-hmm. and then we're going to go all the way across the Pacific and end our journey in Japan. Buckle up, everybody. Yeah, buckle up. It's going to be a wild ride. Get that Southwest credit card and start racking up those frequent flyer miles. Southwest doesn't fly to Japan. <laughs> oh, <laughs> does so, oh. so cheers to you. <laughs> cheers to you. Well, I don't know if you want to sit so cramped all the way to Japan. That might be fairly uncomfortable. True. But cheers to you. I got to get going. I'm going to go check out some opera. I hope there's not some massive assassination attempt, but I do hope there's a cannoli waiting in my vestibule box. <laughs> I'm only going if the... Footwear is required to be worn by all attendees the entire performance because I can't handle any more feet. Okay. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll see you all next week. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. The Godfather Part 3 is property of Paramount Pictures and Zotrope Studios, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. You don't have to do this to me, please. What do you mean? Mary! Dad? Oh, God, no! Oh, God, no, please!